This is your home for St. Cloud State Hockey, keeping you up to date on the NCHC. One-timer coming, they score! Ripped in! A bomb from Perrix! Women's WCHA. Dana Rasmussen fires and she scores! Dana Rasmussen for the Huskies. The National Hockey League. Kaprizov in for a chance to win it! He scores! And everything from the state of hockey. St. Cloud Cathedral is now 42.6 seconds away from wrapping up the school's first ever title. Welcome to the Huskies Warming House Podcast Den. Episode number 57 of the Healthy Scratch interview segment. I'm Noah Grant, bringing in my co-host and Nick Maxson. Nick, we had a repeat guest on our show today uh, to recap some Huskies hockey over the past weekend, and that is our friend Dave Starman. Uh, Dave uh, was a blast to have on the show, uh, releasing this one obviously a little bit later in the week. But Nick, what was your favorite part of this episode with Dave uh, and, and your overall impressions of it? Sure. Uh, anytime you talk to Dave, um, you learn something. Um, and I think that's my favorite part about talking and chatting with them. Uh, but I think for Huskies fans, the one that the, you're, you're going to hear is, you know, a, a lot of answers, um, especially some questions, uh, specific plays, but more so I think it's going to ask, uh, answer the question is, you know, for a lot of Huskies fans who are focused on uh, the score, uh, you know, was it as bad as it looked? And I think he's got some really good insight as to uh, the, the overall, you know, temperature of the game and uh, you know, how it really played out in the, in the hockey minds perspective. Yeah, it was definitely a fun interview. Interesting tidbit as far as Dave Starman's covering of the Frozen Four and how many times he's covered that event as well. We'll get into all that and more, and we won't keep you waiting. Episode number 57 with Dave Starman. Welcome back inside the Den Husky Warming Us podcast, fans. It is episode number 57 of the Healthy Scratch interview. And with us to break down the national championship game between the Huskies and the Minutemen is the wonderful and always kind Dave Starman. Dave, thanks again for joining us. Uh, Dave, I imagine you're back on the East Coast, uh, you know, back to, at home. And uh, it sounds like, again, you just said you just got off the ice working on some face-offs. Is that not correct? Yeah, uh, we had our U16 uh, AAA spring team on the ice and had a good skate tonight. A lot of small area stuff. I get him out on the ice and I said to him, listen, boys, I just got back from the Frozen Four. Watched all three games. There were 19 goals scored. And I'm telling you, 14 of them within eight feet of the net. So tonight, and a lot of them were really because of real good puck protection, somewhere along the wall, somewhere along the quiet zone, somewhere in a corner. We're about getting inside a defenseman, getting your stick down, hard area plays. Said, so tonight we're going to keep the entire practice in small areas. I was lucky we only had one goalie tonight. So everything was in tight areas, rushes in tight areas, games in tight areas, uh, different competitions in tight areas. They worked. I mean, it was like two practices in one tonight. And then at the end, I gave a break and we worked on some face-offs. Dave, uh, you know, I was kind of curious, uh, you know, as the Huskies right now, obviously just getting back from their plane ride back from PPG Paints Arena in Pittsburgh, do you ever actually have any time where hockey season and practices and hockey time kind of slows down for you? Yeah, there's a day in August I usually don't think about it very much, but other than that, it's, <laughs> I feel like it's, you know, it's, it's just go, go, go. I mean, uh, I, I am blessed with a family that understands it. Thank goodness that I, I married a, 
not only did he marry an Emmy award-winning sports reporter, but she's just a huge hockey fan too. Shireen was a Red Wings fan from day one and covered the wings. And so she, she understands it. She understands the passion for the game, the passion for sports in general, the kids do too. And uh, that, that's the reason it works. And I, on that note, I'm, I'm really lucky. But like I said, usually there's a couple of days during the summer where I tend not to think about it. Uh, Dave, let's go ahead and get into, uh, you know, the, the unfortunate loss for Huskies fans here, uh, national championship. And I know a lot of our fans are, uh, you know, they're not just upset the loss, but they're upset that it was, uh, you, some would say, is uncompetitive, which I mean, I don't think any of us in this room would uh, would agree with that sentiment. Um, and as you mentioned before we, we started recording, this was a game of bounces. And uh, you know, as we discussed before, if that Mietnan shut off the crossbar is maybe an inch lower. Uh, again, we're always going to play the what if game, but that game made that dynamic of that probably changes. I totally agree. This this is this is a really unique game from this perspective. I never saw a team all year get St. Cloud out of their game. And UMass, I thought, did a really good job of getting St. Cloud to somewhat abandon their identity and not be able to play the way they want to play. I thought UMass was really good in front of their own nets. They were good in their own hard areas. They were really good in front of St. Cloud's net. It was one of the few times I saw St. Cloud's defenseman or defensively struggle to contain a team from dominating in a grade a spot. And it, it was just, it was an, it was an odd game, but you know, the other thing I said to a lot of people the night before the game, I said, I can't pick this game at all. I have no idea. And the funny part was I said, I get a check every week for broadcasting NCHC games. And yet I turn around and I write that check right to UMass because that's where my son goes. So it was like, I was in a <laughs> weird spot with this game, but, but uh, I, I, you know, I, I said to people before the game, I said, I think this game is too close to pick, but, my biggest concern is both teams' penal, uh, both teams' power plays really went south in their last five game segments, and the team to me that got a timely power play goal probably wins the game. And St. Cloud, I don't think UMass's power play goal was was a defining goal in the game, but the fact that St. Cloud couldn't score on the power play, I really think was a big factor in the game. Yeah, you know, Dave, I was kind of going to ask you about one of the plays, uh, and we talked about it in our show. It's uh, I forget who it was for UMass during the five-on-four power play for the Huskies, grabs the puck and throws it down the ice. Do you feel like, you know, is that another one of those moments that maybe could have changed for St. Cloud State, given a, getting a five-on-three look early in that hockey game? No question. No question. Because the, the one thing, and it's funny because the one thing I did notice about UMass is a lot of their power plays, even if they didn't score, they generated some momentum over their last five, six games to Rockies playoffs and towards the end of their season. So, so whereas their power play wasn't scoring and, and here's a good one for you guys in the game against, in the game against uh, Minnesota Duluth, UMass scored a power play goal. It was the first meaningful power play goal they had scored in eight games since they'd beaten Providence in February. Like, I mean, their power play just didn't matter for a while. And if on flipping to the other side, St. Cloud State, even though their power play wasn't great in the game, they didn't generate a lot of momentum on their power play, in my opinion. So, yeah, if they get a five on three, maybe that does turn around and maybe they do build some confidence. And, uh, and the other part of it is this if you're a team that is really convinced that it can kill penalties well, you can play a lot more on the edge. And I really thought that UMass played with a bit of an edge to their game to the point where if they did take another penalty, it wasn't really going to bother them because they had had so much confidence in what their penalty kill can do. Plus, you know, both their goalies have been pretty good penalty kills for them. You know, Dave, I, I want to talk, kind of touch on that. You know, you talk about some structure, right? Uh, I thought that, you know, when I watched the, the Mass, Massachusetts and UMD game that, you know, the, the fork check 
of Massachusetts was a suffocating number one. And that, that was my big concern. Henry, but they also played, like you said, they played a very good, hard physical game. Uh, I want to ask you this, that two, one, two neutral zone in that four check that they uh, did against St. Cloud and the response I saw from Brett Larson, it was almost like we were flying three guys up, just trying to stretch, maybe trying to keep them honest. Uh, but the one thing I noticed, and I'm not sure Dave, you agree with me on this, our defensemen that set up behind the net, were not willing to skate the puck out of the zone. So in other words, see, they played right into the hands of the UMass four check. Am I not correct? No, I, I think it's a very good point. And it, it's interesting because if I see that scenario, like if I'm a coach and I see a team is coming two up, I'm probably going to encourage my defensemen if they can to use the walls and use the glass where they can. You don't want to rim a ton of pucks around because you can get into some trouble like that. But if if you could take one step out, and Denver's very good at this. Denver's very good at attacking the next layer. And I thought that St. Cloud was a little timid in attacking the next layer at some point, especially when they saw that two up. But there's a, there's a point where the puck has to do the hard work. Uh, whether you air mill one out or you crank one off the glass and you fly your weak side winger, uh, there, there's all kinds of things that you can do. But also, if you're the guy sitting behind the net with the puck and you take a one look up and you, know, you see the other team is in really good defensive structure to the point where they've got an opportunity to seal the walls, they've got an opportunity with their second layer to cut off the middle of the ice, cut off the middle lane and, and get you before the red line. You know what? It makes you think once or twice about where you want to go with it because you're so worried about getting quick countered because of how the other team is setting up. And UMass, as they showed and all season long, they've been a really good quick counter team. Now, let me follow it up with one other point. This is what I love about UMass, and it's what I tried to do with my 14s last year, my 15s this year, and will continue to do with any team that brings me to work with their defense core. Their defense are so good at surfing up and playing off the puck in the offensive zone. And in the neutral zone, their Ds are so good at surfing up and closing up and making sure that their gaps are tight whenever they pick up the puck. So because of how active defenses, especially north of the red line, they don't give you a whole lot of room to go. They defend as soon as the puck gets turned over. They defend up close, and they don't give you a lot of options to come out of your own zone cleanly. St. Cloud State is one of the best teams I've seen in the last decade at getting out of the road end cleanly, and UMass took that away from them. Yeah, and it's actually kind of interesting because I thought St. Cloud in their defensive structure, especially in the game in Mankato with that passive one two two, did something a little bit similar in the fact that they were able to clog the middle of the ice and allow that, you know, that zone by zone carry, if you will, to really get locked down in the neutral zone. But Dave, I kind of wanted to go to uh, another point that Huskies fans had, and that was uh, the impression, if you will, and combined with the score that the Huskies didn't really show up to play. We talked about how obviously that dagger at the end of the first period, I thought the Huskies were arguably the better team throughout most of the first period, but then you look around and you're down two to nothing in the national championship game. Do you feel like that momentum shift for St. Cloud state was just, you know, maybe kind of that, that ultimate factor that led to them looking so poorly because they had to take chances and they're looking around going, we were the better team in that period and we're down two to nothing. Yeah, no, I think it's a good point. By the way, I wasn't laughing at the question. My cat was trying to make a cameo, uh, so he was just trying we to keep it away. But uh, <laughs> stuck his ear in, didn't he? Um, but uh, no, I, I listen. Moment, it's a good point. Momentum is a big thing in championship games, and what's the one thing that a lot of coaches talk about when they play these big, big championship games or semifinal games, whatever it is, and the bright lights go on? It's about momentum swings. And if you can't find momentum, if you can't generate energy, if you if you can't get anything going, and like as Jerry York likes to say, if you can't get into those scenarios that can get your heart rate it up you can flatline pretty quickly and St. Cloud was playing okay they weren't playing great but they were playing okay they were managing the game pretty well and then they get scored on and they get scored on again I don't think they had built up enough 
street cred in that first period where they can go into the locker room and say, hey, listen, let's not worry about these two goals because we're playing pretty well. I think they probably went to the locker room and say, we got scored on twice and we're going to have to struggle to get this back because we're not playing great. I 100% agree. Uh, Dave, I want to go back to, you know, for some fans, a controversial uh, play, and that was the, you call it the offsides, if you want to call it. Now, there is a, you could call it a very uh, obscure rule that it actually makes that play legal, but I, I think it's important to break down that play specifically, Dave, and that more so that is the, the, the part of the rule was it's the change of possession, and even though there's, a, you know, looks to be a screenshot of somebody from the blue line, the puck is in the air, the UMass player is ahead of it. The puck seems to be in the blue line. According to the rule and how it's written, and from what you uh, from what you explained, is that this is a recent rule change. This was a legal play. This is an onside play, and that goal should have counted for UMass, and which it did. So here's the here's the rule. It's called the BU rule. It came into effect four years ago in Fargo, when North Dakota looked like they had scored the game winner in overtime against Boston University. And I got called back because of an icing. I think Joel Janatweenen was actually the guy that scored the goal or, or might have been the guy that was offside. But what, what happened is after that, they came up with a rule called the BU rule. And what the BU rule is this. If you gain the zone and you are slightly offside, it's one of those you know, kind of photo finish type situations, and the linesman says the, off, the, the play is good, then if there's a change of possession at any point before the puck clears the blue line, meaning the offensive team, the attacking team, Turns the puck over, and the defending team has possession. Possession, the same way they would have to have possession to get a whistle on a penalty kill. Remember, just because you touch it, that's not possession. Like, you've got to show the officials that you, you have the puck on your stick to the point where you can make a play, or you have it in your skates to the point where you can make a play. That's possession. If you have possession of the puck, and then the other team gets it back and scores, that offside rule is now moot because of the change of possession. So, meaning, let's take a look at the UMD game against North Dakota in the Fargo final. Remember, UMD scored the goal they thought they'd won on? Right. And the reason the play stayed offside is because North Dakota never touched the puck. But if North Dakota had had even mild possession and then UMD got it back and scored, they couldn't even go to review because the offsides is now a good play. Yeah, and then that obviously translates into you can't review that. I think that's the biggest thing that uh, people are kind of upset about too. That is, is correct. Is why didn't they review it? And they're kind of like, that's a non-reviewable play. You've got to move on to the next step there. Um, Dave, obviously we talked about this on the show as well. UMass, very deserving, uh, arguably, you know, one of the best groups to win a national championship this year, just by the way that they earned it and their skill level. Um, but we kind of wanted to talk about a moment that we had actually re relative to our show and our podcast. And that was uh, seeing hockey East I believe it was the next day. Yeah, it was the next day after tweet that Massachusetts is now the state of hockey. So of course, we fired back. We fired back at them, uh, and we came up with the the notion that well, there was only one league with more than one team in the Frozen Four, uh, and it wasn't Hockey East. So then they, for people who nobody knows this except for myself, because I was the only one who saw it, uh, they tweeted back and said, "Well, there's only one league with a trophy," and then promptly deleted it. Um, but my question to you is this, Dave, if you had, if you had to um, take a look at all six conferences in college hockey and kind of put them a little bit into a tier, where would you put the NCHC, Hockey East, Big Ten, Atlantic Hockey? Where do those all shake out for you? Um, I, I suppose this year, but kind of in general, where do you think each of these conferences are trending? And uh, do you think Hockey East uh, has a case there? <laughs> 
you're trying to get me to lose friends is what you're doing here. Yeah. So uh, here's, uh, by the way, I'm going to, I'm going to give you a little, uh, I'm going to give you a little history on the state of hockey tweet from Massachusetts. Brian Smith is their associate or assistant commissioner and PR guy. He's a former USA hockey uh, fishman intern. He's a great guy. I've known him for years. He told me about that sometime a couple hours over, over drinks, a couple hours after the, the game had ended. And I looked at him, I said, what are you doing to me? I said, you know, I'm going to wind up in the middle of this with my ties <laughs> to the East and the West. I said, I'm an Eastern guy. You know, I'm going to wind up in the middle of this mess. And now here I am. So when it went, but they were, you know, they, they, they did it in good fun. Brian's a great guy. They did it in good fun. So I, I'm hoping everybody in Minnesota is not losing their mind over this because we all know Minnesota is the state of hockey. And you know, on a side note for Massachusetts, like Eastern Massachusetts and the state of Massachusetts in general is just not producing players that, the way they used to, it's it's really gone down quite a bit, in my opinion. I think their entire player development model with how they've set up leagues and the respect for U18 and the, the proliferation of junior leagues and how watered down it's gotten. Like, Massachusetts has an issue when it comes to player development right now. I, I think everybody is on board with that and everybody realizes it. And I think it's going to be up to them to, to fix this issue because when they had it going, Massachusetts was as good a state in terms of developing really elite players as anybody. But I think their model has broken down, whereas the Minnesota – model and the community model that minnesota has i think is the best model out there and that's why i think that state continues to crunch out really good players and scott sandlin has said it many times i mean he can go recruit in his backyard now because there's about a zillion players coming out of hermantown because of the amount of rinks that are there all those outdoor rinks the kids are skating all day long it gets cold up there quick i mean the it's really set up there's a lot of free time a lot of free play up there whereas a lot of us in the east unfortunately are we've really gotten very rigid and very standardized and very structured with how we do a lot of things. And we've taken a lot of the free play out of it. And so to me, that's kind of the genesis of where Massachusetts has broken down. But I, I, I do think it's kind of funny that they put that out there. Brian told me he did it. We had a great laugh about it. Uh, I do think that the state of Massachusetts is a great hockey state. They're passionate hockey people and they, they are really proud of their teams. And, but when it comes to the, when it comes to the conferences, and this is not just me talking, this is a lot of coaches around college hockey talking. They came out and they played non-conference games against the NCHC teams. And the first thing that they say to the coaches of the NCHC team they, they played is, I got to tell you, our league's not like this. This is a great league. And when other coaches are saying that, you, you got to think that the NCHC is the top tier league in the, in the country. I think the Big Ten has got a lot of high-end talent. So does Hockey East, but they think they attract more high-end talent that's going to be one and done or two and done, whereas the NCHC is attracting a lot of high-end kids that are also staying three to four years. So like if Kale McCard played at Minnesota Duluth, he was still leaving after two years. But I think that a lot of those schools, including North Dakota, have been able to attract some players that have gone the route, stayed the four years to build the culture. I think Hockey East and the Big Ten at times lose some of their long-term luster because they can't really get those kids. Uh, Dave, I, I want to kind of stay uh, on the topic of the, of the championship game in terms of, you know, you talk about tiers, but, you know, for St. Cloud, you know, again, for this team to almost punch above their weight class in, in some respects throughout the year, and mind you, we just saw a different, you know, mentality of this team where they just seem to not be really mentally bothered by some of the adversity on and off the ice. It's something we really haven't seen in three, four years that I've, I've watched this team, but, you know, Brett Hedekin, um, a guy we've had on the show, and, and you know, great former player, great broadcaster for San Jose. Um, he said something I thought was right on, and, and his comment was, you know, for Huskies fans, hey, sometimes you got to go win this game and lose it to know how to win it. Uh, Dave, what is the next step for the Huskies? 
opportunities to finally get to the championship game, number one again, and number two to finally pull ahead and bring home the hardware next time. Let's find it. Let's look at the frozen faceoff. What did we have? Four straight years? Meaning, what do we have? Four straight years where the team that lost the frozen faceoff championship game won it the next year? I'm, I'm checking in with the expert here. Shereen's uh, right over here. So, but I, I do think that we, we, we do see that sometimes you do have to lose to win. UMass talked a lot about how in the last frozen four, you know, they play the Thursday game. It's a late game. They win it overtime, emotional game. They're all jammed up about it. Nobody got to sleep till about two, two 30. Then the next day they were at fan fest and signing autographs. And, and then you had the Kale McCarr thing and the Hobie Baker award ceremony. And then, you know, they're up late for that. And, and, you know, kind of the after celebration a little bit. And by the time they got to the Saturday game, they had nothing left. And the one thing that, like UMass coaching staff said the entire Friday day when they were out running around doing fan fest and autographs the whole bit was where's Minnesota Duluth. You know where they were? They were like, the heck with this. They were getting rest. They were sleeping. They learned their lesson when they lost their national championship game. They understood the bright lights. They saw how much it was, how much it really sucked to lose. And that fired them up to understand how to win. And then they won it again. UMass needed that. And this time around, they were a different team. They were all business. They were locked up in the hotel on Friday. They were off their feet most of Saturday. Not a lot of walking around town. They were dialed in, locked in, rested, and ready. And they also had experience in the big game. For St. Cloud, I think this is a good thing that happened to them. They got there. You're absolutely right. Maybe they punched a little bit outside their weight class. Brett Larson said a lot of times the fact that they were playing for second place in the conference that late in the season was a huge feather in their cap because nobody gave them any credibility at the beginning of the year that they could be that good. This is a really this is a good program with a really good coaching staff that is really committed to being that good. And my feeling is this, they're going to learn from this. They're going to process this. And with the group, the brain trust that they have there and the, their ability to recruit, this is a bump in the road on this program becoming one of those programs that you talk about over the next decade. Dave, I have two questions related to that back-to-back -back here. The first is Brett Larson. Now I believe two and two in championship games, winner in 11 and 18, loser in 17, and of course this year. Uh, and Brett Larson is one of the best coaches that we know, not just because we cover St. Cloud State hockey, but just knowing you know the gamut of college hockey. What does this coaching staff for St. Cloud State, from the non-biased or somewhat non-biased, eyes that you bring into the game. What do you see from Brett Larson, Dave Shyak, and Nick Oliver that makes St. Cloud State, uh, if anything, more well-prepared than their opponent on any given night? You know what? I'll tell you what. Those three guys have been great to me in terms of conversations we've had, and I picked their brains on coaches. But those three guys have made me a better coach because I've learned a ton from them, and it's great to be able to pick their brains. And here, here's what I got with Brett. Brett is a really good offensive mind who – to me, really understands the detail aspect of the game. He and I talk about face-offs and face-off plays and how to react to them. And he's had he's got a couple of face-off drills he's given to me that have really helped improve what I want to do with my players. And I think he sees the game really well. I think he's mature beyond his years. I think he has a great ability to relate not only to his staff but to his players. And I think he's got a really good ability to get his message across from the point of the disciplinarian but also from the point of the father figure who cares. So I I, I do think he's got the right idea. He is a relationship builder, and he can build trust really quickly. Dave Shyak, I think, is a very brilliant defensive mind. I think he has got a great voice when it comes to how to work with defensemen, how to teach defensemen, how to build a defensive-minded team. I also think he's great at creating some identity. You heard St. Cloud talk a lot about grease pan goals and going to the grease pan. That is all Shyak, and that was his. that's what he brought from Western Michigan, and that's why Western Michigan was so good. So I think with him, you, you get a guy that is really – driven to defend well, defend hard, and create good defensemen. 
And with, with Nick Oliver, I mean, I like this kid. This kid's a rock star in the making. First of all, he's got a great grip on the game. Second of all, he understands the players probably better than the other two because he's not that far removed. And this is somewhat his generation. And I think these generations evolve five years every year. But he's still close enough to this group age-wise that he can understand them. He can be the disciplinarian at times, but he can also be the big brother that the guys go to to say, hey, I I don't get this or I, I, I think I'm getting leaned on a little heavy or whatever. And you can have a conversation with them while not feeling bad for them. Let them know that, listen, I understand where you're coming from, but you know, you guys still got to pull your own weight too. I think he brings that credibility in dressing. I would definitely agree with that. I think that out of the three of them, I think we relish making Nick Oliver smile maybe more than the other two because he kind of rides that line uh, pretty well. Uh, the other question I have relates to the players and you being kind of a liaison between the National Hockey League and college hockey here. We saw a report today that Sam Henches was going to at least be checked in with the Minnesota Wild. You've got a couple of NHL draft picks on the St. Cloud State roster. A couple guys that because of their seasons might be getting looks. Nolan Walker might be a, a prime example of that. Is there anybody from St. Cloud State, uh, for sure the senior class, but maybe even uh, below that senior class that might be what you would call a flight risk as far as maybe not coming back in a Huskies uniform next year, in your opinion? I'll tell you what, I think the beauty of the way St. Cloud recruits is they recruit guys that are really not flight risks. Like, that's the good part about them. And, you know, Ryan Paling was a flight risk, but I think he made a smart decision in coming back for his junior year. And I remember Bob Motzko saying to Mark Bergerman, uh, and I was on a Canadian staff at the time, but they were like, hey, listen, if he plays three years at St. Cloud, St. Cloud wins, Ryan Paling wins, and the Montreal Canadiens will win, and Bob has proven right. And I don't think there's anybody on that team that is a tremendous flight risk of leaving of leaving early, but I do think there are some guys on the team that are going to turn into pretty good NHL players. Uh, one guy who I, by the way, who had a rough game, and he'll be the first one to tell you, was Nick Perbix. Mm-hmm. But I think, the, I think Nick perfect he's gonna be a rock star defenseman in the nhl like i think he is gonna gonna be a really good big defender could move pucks kill penalties bang pucks out be a physical presence in hard areas win battles in corners win his 50 50s uh get have some offensive upside to his game be able to skate with it i feel really bad for me he just he just had a tough night uh, I want to talk a little bit about, uh, Dave, kind of on top of that is, you know, let's just assume, right, that uh, the seniors all forego the extra year of eligibility. Uh, you're going to have, obviously, a brand-new freshman class come in. But what St. Cloud State returns, uh, you know, getting to the championship game, one thing is hard. To get it back again in consecutive years, I would think, is even harder. Uh, with the core that this team has, the sophomores and the junior class, does this team have enough there to make a yet another deep run like they did this year? I think talent's one thing. I think luck has to break your way too. And I think next year, if we have a season of somewhat normalcy, then instead of starting in the pod where you're starting against the big boys right away, you're going to have a chance to get some games under your belt before you get into conference play to, to even build your team up that much better. I do think that St. Cloud's going to have a good year next year. I do think they're going to be one of those top three, top four teams in the NCHC. And, and that's saying something. Like that's an accomplishment all in itself. But I, I do think the the core group coming back combined with the experience that they have, like this group, I think is set up for long-term success opposed to this being a flash in the pan where you don't see them for a while. Like Omaha's team a few years back, they were, they were kind of set up to have a good run and then they were going to have to rebuild. Now they're going to be a team that I think is going to be consistently in the mix. I think St. Cloud's right at the same boat. 
Yeah. Speaking of the NCHC, Dave, uh, it's going to be an interesting year uh, with uh, the transfer portal kind of being the free agency, if you will, of college hockey, something we have yet to see uh, in, in quite a while. Um, when you look around the NCHC, uh, what what do you see from some of these teams as far as departures and entries? I mean, who, do, who in your preliminary mind do you think is kind of going to have a rebuild year? And who do you think is maybe going to take that next step up? I think of an example like a comparison of maybe North Dakota, who's losing a lot of bodies versus a team like Western Michigan, who maybe is quite young and continuing to develop. We all know with North Dakota, they don't rebuild. They just reload and <laughs> they're going to, and, and then getting Casey. Uh, yeah. They got Casey Gilling out of Miami. That's a good score for them. Oh no. Minnesota Duluth got Casey Gilling. Yeah. I think North Dakota by getting Driscoll is going to be in good shape. Cause now they got a goaltender that's solid. Cause Tommy left to go to St. Thomas. I, you know, North Dakota, they'll be fine. Like they got a, they got a lot of good youth coming back, and if Sanderson and Clevin are back, I mean that really solidifies their back end in, in terms of getting them started. UMD, I mean they're going to lose a lot of key seniors. North Dakota lost a lot of guys too. It's an interesting transition year. I think the portal is going to play a big role in all this, but this is one of those years where it's funny because of the COVID wave. You don't know who's coming back. I mean, I, I, I think it is way too early to tell what next year looks like. Right now, we might not even know in August what next year is going to look like. Uh, Dave, you know, from, from the player's perspective, you know, I guess if, if for those fans who, you know, follow the sport, but maybe don't know, you know, the transfer, but like why a player uh, would move schools, like why would a Casey Galing go from Miami up to UMD? Uh, what, what do you think of, and I know it's, it's not, it's a blanket statement, but what kind of makes a player look at their situation and maybe wants to try something different it is, you know, what are some of the factors that a player considers when he enters the transfer portal? Uh, part of it could be location. I mean, maybe they just need a change of scenery. It could be maybe they feel they've gone as far as they, they're going to go in the program they're going and, and need to stretch their legs and be challenged a little bit more. Uh, it, it could be a scenario of academics at times. Maybe they get a chance to transfer to a school that's better academically or better suited for what they might be doing after hockey's over. I mean, that's a possibility because not everybody's going to make a living playing hockey to the point where they don't have to do anything else. So uh, that can be a factor. And you know, it might just be the the thought of, hey, listen, I'd like to go see a new place for one more year before I settle down in the same city for hopefully a long time, whether it be in the workforce or, or as a professional. So, I mean, I, there's probably a million different reasons out there. Some of them are probably pretty good. Some of them are probably not. Some of them may have their family advisors in their ear saying, you got to get out of here, and, and they buy into it. Some of them may be like, hey, I, I think I need a change of scenery because I I'm, I don't think I'm progressing the way I want to. I, there's a million different reasons why I – I was never good enough to have that issue. So I'm just, I'm going by what I'm seeing. Only a couple more questions here for you, Dave. Uh, I've got one actually related to uh, individual awards that were handed out at the end of the year. Um, and I don't want to put you in a tough spot, but I mean, I kind of do, I guess. I don't know. Um, we definitely, definitely were expecting that Cole Caulfield was going to win the Hobie Baker. Uh, the one I want to ask you about is the Richter Award. Jack LaFontaine, I mean, a very deserving goaltender, but do you feel like maybe Dryden McKay was the man there? And uh, how loaded is Mankato for next year to make another run at a national tournament? Well, let's work backwards. First of all, very. They got a hell of a coach in Mike Hastings. They, and, and he's got a good staff there, too. And they got a nice core returning there. I, I like the way they play. They play, a, they play within a structure where you can bring new people in and assimilate them into it. To the, and it's kind of like rinse, repeat. I like the way they do things. They've got a very professional mindset. Now they've got some experience of, of getting to a frozen four. Uh, working our way backwards towards the Richter. Here, I, I like Minnesota State's team. I think Dryden McKay is a heck of a goalie. Here's, here's where I'm going to torque people off, but it's just the reality of it. 
I think Jack LaFontaine played against better offensive players on a more consistent basis. I don't think anybody's going to argue that. I mean, he was, he was playing against a string of guys that are going to play in the NHL where I'm not sure that Dryden McKay was playing against those same guys. And that's not taking away anything from the players that Dryden McKay played against or the teams that they played against or the achievements that he had. I, I just think it has to get weighted a little bit with the fact that Jack LaFontaine was playing a bunch of guys that were drafted in the first and second round and a couple that played on the world junior team and, you know, that kind of thing. So I, I think that that factors in. And then going to the Hobie, I've had a system where, like, I've done this for 18 years now, and I've been on the committee twice, but I've used my formula to pick the Hobie Baker Award winner for 18 years now. My formula has only failed twice. This was the second time it failed because the way I crunched the numbers, Shane Pinto would have won the Hobie. Now, that's not taking anything away from Cole, who's a marvelous player and deserved to win the award, but I'm just a big fan of if you've got two guys that are somewhat comparable, and one's a centerman and one's a winger, the one being the centerman, I think, weights higher just in terms of the, the learning curve. Uh, Dave, I, I've got one more question for you, but uh, I think it's actually best to be the last question of the night. So, no, I'm actually going to kick it back to you uh, for your uh, one or two final questions just because, uh, you know, i got to give Dave a little bit of a hard time before we get out of here. I was going to say, I, I, actually, I actually hadn't thought of my last question yet, so you're making me think. I'm just kidding. Uh, Dave, <laughs> my question for you here is, as I asked you kind of what your summer might entail, um, on the broadcasting side, I know maybe you can't reveal too much, uh, do you kind of have any sort of an inkling of maybe where is the next time we'll see Dave Starman? And above all, am I, am I not mistaken that this frozen four was actually the first frozen four that you've done? Did I read that correctly somewhere? Um, and how the hell is that possible that it took this long? If that's the case. <laughs> hey, I appreciate the good words there. Uh, one more thing, by the way, on awards, now that we're talking about it, you know what the best award was this season? Ben Holden, ben Holden winning the NCHC yeah. Media mm-hmm. Excellence Award. That was the, to me, that was the most perfect award given. He did 20 or 21 games in the pod and he, and he crushed it. And I, I really thought that it was a classy move by the NCHC brass to, to give him the NCHC Media Excellence Award. He puts everything into every broadcast. And over the course, that was almost like a, a, a lifetime achievement award for him with the work that he's done in the conference. And, and, and he, he did a heck of a job. You know, I was, I was really lucky enough to win it the year before. And I think both of us, feel the same way and that is our crew won that award like all three of us won that thing together because we all make each other that much better so I, I just I wanted to bring that up because I really thought Benny was was deserving of that and you know into the frozen four thing yeah this is the first time I've ever called one and I've my goal when I got into this in year one was to call the frozen four and uh, you know ESPN has had the contract and they've had guys in a contract to, to to do it and you know all patiently wait to see if my opportunity comes my way that way. But a few years back, Westwood One Radio reached out to me and asked me if I was interested in doing it. Cap Raider was getting ready to retire. and But I was still committed to doing studio for ESPN and didn't want to break my commitment because, you know, I'm always loyal to the people I say yes to. Two years ago, when this thing, or last year when it was coming to Detroit, being that Shireen is from Detroit and, and, and has spent so many years covering the Red Wings, uh, I said to myself, you know what, I want to call – all of frozen for the time is right. Unfortunately, it got wiped out by COVID, or else we would have called that one last year. So yeah, this one is the first one I ever did. It was I, I was thrilled it was on radio. Brian Tripp from Penn State was my play-by-play guy. He was terrific. Larry Costner was our producer. He was unreal. It was a lot of fun. It was the first time that I had been back on radio to call a game since April of 1996. And in that game, Miami head coach Chris Bergeron played it. So that I mean that goes back a ways, and it was really exciting, and I was just thrilled to do it and. You know, we'll see where this goes. We'll see where the we'll see where this happens. I, I love the NCHC on CBS. I think it's a great package. I love doing the regionals for ESPN. It's 
it's a great thing to be involved with. Selection shows great. Big Ten Network's happy to do some games. Hopefully that'll that'll continue. And listen, I I every game that somebody gets that I get asked to do, I feel lucky that I get to do it. So and they're all special. And I'm thrilled that I've had 18 years doing it, and hopefully it keeps going. Dave, I thought of one more here, as I know, I know Nick saw me here, and I didn't think of it till late. Uh, you were actually, your voice is going to be part of uh, one game for quite a long time, and that is a game with Leah Hextall, uh, the longest NCAA tournament game in history. What was it like to be a part of that game? And we kind of talked about it. We thought Duluth dominated the first uh, two-thirds of regulation, and then it, we thought it was North Dakota's game to lose after grabbing those couple bounces to force it to OT. Did you think that Duluth was going to be the winner? And uh, did you think that the goal score was going to be who it was? I will tell you this. I thought that every time Gavin Hain touched the puck, the game was going to end. Mm-hmm. I'll be very honest with you. That guy scares me. Yeah, he is. He's got a great shot and he's opportunistic and he's pesky and he's sneaky. And I, I love the way that kid plays. So I- I'll be honest. I'm very honest with you. I thought every time Gavin Hain stepped on the ice, the game was going to end. And was I surprised Luke Milmock scored it? I was, but those long overtime games tend to produce heroes and at some point during the think I remember saying you know who's going to be the Peter Klima of this game from 1990 in the finals with Edmonton and for those who don't know that story Peter Klima didn't play very much if at all in a three overtime game one between the Oilers and the Bruins and the first shift he played in the game uh, since maybe early in the first period he stepped on the ice and scored and ended the game so I had a feeling somebody fresh might be the one to do it and Bill Mock in a very indirect way proved me right <laughs> Uh, Dave, so to wrap it up here, a couple of fun uh, topics. First of all, um, any quick any quick words of fun for Ben Holden that I can text him real quick? Ooh. <laughs> what can it, well, he's doing rugby this weekend. He's yes, actually he very, very good at doing rugby. So yes. what can you <laughs> just ask him where the cameras are? <laughs> you know dave you know dave it's kind of it's kind of funny kind of funny to to on that note uh and i don't know if i'm selling ben out for this one but i called him for the first time in about three weeks on friday and i call him and he goes he didn't even say hello he goes did dave bail on you again that's, <laughs> that's the, the first thing he said so i um i don't know i just want to throw that out there dave i also did want to say before i kick it over as nick continues there i want to say your best game of the year by the way uh because we were going to say this the first time you were going to come on i thought your best game of the year was actually the colorado college game in the nchc playoffs of all games i thought your command of that game was uh pretty phenomenal i thought you read the temperature of the game i know you want to know why you're good or bad and you want to know why. So I had a couple of bullet points jotted down and I thought your command of the game was really nice on that one. So I just make every game like that one. You'll be good to go. Anyway, go ahead. I appreciate it. That was, that was an interesting game. I appreciate that. Thank you. (laughs) Uh, Dave, last thing, uh, last thing I want to touch on is, you know, why is it that you um, when you're West of the Hudson East of the Mississippi just seem to have anything go wrong with you, such as elevators, uh, whether it's building stuff, I mean, I'm surprised the electricity stayed on a PPG paint arena. So, what is it? Is there something in the water? What does what kind of clouds does Zave Sparman bring with him that you know makes things just not go right every single time? Because they all hate New Yorkers. That's really what it comes down to. <laughs> I got just... in the background for you. <laughs> 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 as soon as I get west of the Hudson River, it just just goes all downhill from there. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, the funny thing is I, I have yet to, to be in an NHL building or any building where the elevator actually moves. I mean, Grand Forks is not bad. Like the Ralph is okay. That elevator at the Herb Brooks National Hockey Center, I, to my goodness, it's you hit three and you feel like you're going to the basement. I mean, that thing barely moves. I just think it's an elevator thing. There's one at the Nassau Coliseum that goes one floor. I mean, you could need a shave by the time you get to the second floor. It's that slow. So it's, <laughs> it, I think it's just an elevator thing, to be honest. 
<laughs> if you if you want a good workout though, call games at the Herbrooks National Hockey Center because Nick, I think you and I at some point made the decision that we're just going to take the stairs down every time because it's quicker than dragging quicker a than the elevator. Up. Right? Yeah. And, and if, I just want to make sure I heard you correctly, Dave. You said that the Ralph was just okay, right? <laughs> the elevator is just okay. okay. <laughs> the the Ralph something. is a palace. The elevator. Yes, it is. is. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Dave, again, we, we always appreciate you coming on. We, we again, uh, for especially breaking down the, the championship game here, we always loved your insight. Uh, is there any immediate plans besides, you know, your coaching, obviously some new stuff over the summer, but uh, for those who, uh, you know, probably going to be, uh, you mentioned some time off in August. Uh, are you basically going to be coaching throughout the entire summer, essentially? Is that kind of the, the end game? Yeah, there are a couple of, uh, couple of showcase tournaments that, that I'll be involved in and uh, some stuff around here and then some regular summer stuff and, you know, work with some players. I'm starting to do a little bit more on video stuff, some more hockey IQ stuff with players and, you know, through zoom meetings and stuff like that. I'm hockey IQ with players. So I, I'm kind of rounding more into, into that stuff. And thanks again for coming on episode number 57. Always appreciate the input. Uh, thank you for coming down uh, on down with us and breaking out the championship game as hard as it was for Huskies fans. Uh, and on that note, again, if there's a zoom call about broadcasting uh, for improving that, uh, please let us know. I'd be happy to join that link, uh, but have a good summer. Uh, have fun coaching. We'll have to see you again soon. Hey, it'll be October before we know it. So I will see you guys in the fall. Thanks again, Dave. Have a good one. Thanks, Dave. You got it. Thanks boys. once again thanks to dave for swinging by the show and hanging out with us i uh, always nice that he makes time for us little guys here nick uh nick any big plans on your week off of course um as i mentioned i'm working a tournament i'm actually working the acha division one women's hockey tournament here uh, in minot so i'm actually going to be doing color commentary for uh the first time since you and i were together in last march of 2020 up at amsoil arena so 12 games in five days i'm really excited to uh get on the mic once again but nick uh what are you going to do with your um multitude of free time that you normally have in your schedule homework honestly <laughs> uh, there's not a whole lot of free time that i have and uh, this doesn't really change much um it'll just uh, give me probably just a, a couple of uh, extra hours honestly towards uh, some of the end of the weeks when we normally do recordings or so uh, but uh but yeah right um <laughs> after a you know 40 plus hour day between uh, saturday and sunday um i will tell you one thing i was definitely gassed when we got to the beginning of the week so glad to catch up on a little sleep and uh i don't know maybe i'll hit up some top golf um it's always a good uh, way to uh, to experience a little bit of a fun on the golf course because you get to hit the golf ball you get to drink some beer but you don't have to go chasing it which i like so uh that might be in the docket as well but uh, try to relax a little bit and uh, try to take a deep breath from the end of the season the way I hit the golf ball, some people think I've already been drinking beer by the time I get there. But anyway, <laughs> housekeeping procedures for the show here, Nick, like we just mentioned, we will not have a show this upcoming Sunday, nor a healthy scratch interview segment the following Tuesday. We'll be back at it the following Sunday, of course, and then hopefully with a guest that following Tuesday. This is an abnormality that we normally will not have the healthy scratch interview on a different day here. So we're going to have it back to our regular Tuesday, hopefully moving forward. And the last thing to note, two-line fan trivia season one did just end this past weekend. So no no trivia this upcoming weekend, the weekend of April 16th and the following weekend, whatever day that is, that's way too far ahead in 23rd. my schedule. The 23rd. All right. Nick Maxson, the old man got it locked and loaded in the memory, uh, but we will be locked and loaded in a couple of weeks. Like we just mentioned, and that will do it for episode number 57 of the healthy scratch interview segment. Come back and join us in two weeks for episode number 58. And one -timer. Dana Rasmussen fires and she scores!
Dana Rasmussen for the Huskies. Dwayne Kaprizov in for a chance to win it. He scores! Kirill the thrill is for real. Welcome to the NHL, a game winner. St. Cloud Cathedral is now 42.6 seconds away from wrapping up the school's first ever title.